Hello and welcome to the Forge Church Catch-Up Podcast. We're delighted that you've chosen to press play on this podcast today. My name is Johnny and I'm part of the teaching team here at the Forge. Each Sunday, our hope and prayer is to provide practical teaching directed by God that ties into everyday life. We hope that today's talk encourages you. Welcome back to part two of our series, You're Not the Boss of Me. Uh, In this how-to series, we are really just looking at how to say no to the emotions that look to gain control. Uh, Last week, we looked at how these decisions that we make are all filtered through our emotions that can end up just distorting our reality. Uh, And Jesus took this seriously. He said, uh, it's from the heart that we do things and say the things that we say and do the things that we do. Uh, And it's that which really gets us into trouble. And so we're asking the questions of how do we look to gain control or regain control of our emotional filters? Uh, So together, that's where we're at. And what comes from you uh, comes from what's inside of you. We looked at that last week. Uh, So to kick off, I want to ask this question. What would you do if you knew you could get away with it? What would you do if you knew you could get away with it? You know, if you were to really sit with that question for a little while, I reckon that it wouldn't take much time at all for things to get pretty dark. And whilst you might be able to share perhaps a more light-hearted answer uh, with people around you, the real answer that perhaps feels awkward, we probably wouldn't share. Because it's exposing, isn't it? It exposes our heart. In fact, it may be that you have done something uh, believing that you wouldn't get caught and maybe you got away with it. And even today, it's a secret uh, and the thought of people knowing is just so uncomfortable and it's exposing. Before we realize it, we can get a small idea of what's inside our hearts. And last week, we realized that it's that stuff that really determines what comes out in our actions, in our our words uh, that we say. And in spite of that, perhaps because it's actually quite scary, the advice that we give rarely reflects what we know is in our hearts. Uh, In fact, when we have a big life-changing decision, uh, we make, uh, we like to hear this phrase, don't we? Follow your heart. Follow your heart. And yet, if your heart was a person that acted in a way that reflected the things that you know to be deep down inside your heart, you would never trust that person. You'd never follow that person. But guess what? That person exists. That person is you. Uh, So whilst we know that we should probably monitor our behavior, and we do this all the times in things like job interviews and dates and parenting, we looked at that last week, what we don't talk about so much is what's at the source of our behavior. We don't think about what it looks like to really monitor what's in our hearts. And if we did take this seriously, as Jesus taught us to take this seriously, 
we might be more careful about following our hearts because we might know more about what's inside it. We might be more attentive about what's inside there. Let me put it like this. Imagine I was to start shaking this glass jar. Shaking it doesn't actually determine what comes out of it. Uh, what's inside the glass jar determines what comes out of the jar. If I shake this glass jar, uh, the technician behind this camera might have something to say about it, uh, but it's that, what's inside, that determines what comes out. And you know what? It's the same with you. What's inside you determines what comes out of you. And last week we looked at how Jesus taught this, but we also find this in the Old Testament with documents written by a man called Solomon. Uh, if you know your history and if you know uh, Solomon's story, you will know that he was considered one of the wisest people who ever lived. Uh, we know this because he was responsible for a book called Proverbs that thousands of years later uh, we still read today and we still learn from today in the 21st century. And it's in these proverbs that we find Solomon saying this. Guard your hearts, uh, not follow your heart. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Listen, this is a big deal. What's inside your heart spills out. Think of uh, the times for a second where people have caused you the most harm that almost seems like it's left irreversible scars that have left you with scars, whether it's a friend's betrayal or a parent's harsh word or a partner's unfaithfulness, a colleague's gossip. The seemingly irreversible damage that may have caused you came from the darkness of their hearts. And for you, with the people around you, the people that you care for deeply, you don't want to cause them hurt. You don't want to cause them uh, harm, even by accident. And so we need to learn how to monitor, how to guard, not just our behavior, but also our hearts. This is a big deal, not just for you, but for the sake of those around you. So last week I asked a question, what's the one emotion? Uh, and I also said uh, that we were going to get specific into the specific emotions that probably look to take control of all of us. But I asked, what was your one emotion as well? Because uh, it's probably not too hard to call on it. But my hope is that as well as allowing us to regain control of these specific emotions, it might give you the tools to allow you to start dealing with your own specific emotion as well. Uh, today we're going to look at something that we all carry around uh, and probably all become as the boss of us at one point or another. Today we're going to talk about guilt. Guilt is the emotion associated when we acknowledge that we did something wrong. Uh, now there are a few different kinds of guilt. The first kind is like this false guilt uh, where you feel guilty over things that you really shouldn't feel guilty about. We're not actually going to talk about that so much today. Uh, but the second kind of guilt is the guilt that we're going to talk about. It's the guilt that we associate uh, with because we actually did something wrong. We did something wrong that leaves us feeling guilty and the guilt that we're left with actually defines us. Uh, there's a third kind of guilt as well, which is real, uh, that we don't feel most of the time. Uh, that's the guilt that we get because we actually did something so bad and so terrifying that we actually just learn to live with it and we shove it down and bottle it down so that we can cope with it. But every now and again, it raises its head and it's just overwhelming. And it's like in those moments, uh, and this might bring some comfort to you today because you don't realize that everyone else does exactly the same thing. We kind of do two things. We retreat, and then we also tell ourselves the story that allows us to live with the guilt so that it doesn't just become all-consuming. Here's how the story often goes. It wasn't me. I was only a teenager. It was my first job. I haven't done it since. It was a mistake. 
but here is what we're going to find together. Uh, this is what I want you to remember when it comes to guilt. Denying it or being defined by it actually empowers it. Defi denying it or def uh, being defined by it actually empowers it. When you deny the guilt or when you become defined by it, when we live in a way uh, because of the guilt that we feel, it actually empowers the guilt. In fact, a good way of thinking about this is that guilt can really create this debt and debtor relationship. A debt and debtor relationship within ourselves, between each other, uh, and within ourselves as well. Think about when you did something that caused you to feel so guilty. Uh, what we did effectively takes something from someone uh, and we live with the guilt, which is in effect the insecurity of knowing that we can't make it up for them. We become in debt to them with no way of being able to pay. And it's actually worse than that because we don't just feel guilt as debt, we actually experience it. We experience it as weight. It becomes the boss of us. We actually have terminology for this. When we feel guilty, we carry around the weight, don't we? And when we lose the guilt, we feel lighter. It's like the weight's been lifted off. But when we have guilt on us, it's like we become off balance. The way in which we react to others is off balance. The way in which we relate to those closest uh, to each of us feels off balance. You know those TV shows or movies where it shows someone having an affair and, and when they go back to the house, uh, the partner ends up gaining some kind of suspicion because of the way that they're acting. Uh, because the character has this weight of guilt that pushes them off balance. Something's wrong. I think the reason they're actually engaged by those shows is that because it represents something that we know is true. In fact, that's true when we get pulled in uh, to good stories. It's normally because uh, there's something true about them. There's a realism behind the story and it's true for you and it's true for me uh, that when we carry guilt as weight, it festers, we become off balance and it even evolves into anger. And in those moments where it raises its head and we get angry ourselves because of what we did. The anger leaks out because we didn't live up to our own expectations and we get angry at others because they now they can't uh, live up to our expectations. It's hard in the heat of all of this to link our anger and guilt, but we just know the feeling, don't we? Where it's heavy and we feel angry and we feel focused on everyone else's failure and we just feel condemned. And there's no way to get back. There's no way to pay back the debt. There's no way to undo. There's no way we can undrink, unsmoke, undivorce, unhurt, unsay. And it just becomes part of the story that travels with you. And your past was never designed to be left behind. And even as I'm speaking to you now, that heavy feeling is probably coming back up again because of that thing or those different things. In fact, even as I'm speaking to you now, you might be feeling heavy and you might be thinking, why did I even watch church today? Uh, perhaps that very feeling of condemnation and weight is exactly what you're used to feeling when it comes to this idea of God. Uh, perhaps you've actually got yourself in this cycle of coming to church or watching church to make up for the guilt, uh, but your impression of God is this guilt-based God to make you feel more guilty and so that you go to church more and it just becomes this guilt cycle. And if any of what I've said to you, or perhaps one day could be related to you because you're wise enough that you're not invincible to life-changing errors, I actually have some good news. 
I have some good news for you. The guilt that you live with, the present that you live with does not have to be defined by your past, nor do you need to deny the past. There is a third option, a third option that Jesus offered. And the person who wrote about this experienced this third uh, option deeply. Uh, This man called Paul, if you've been to church before, you've probably heard a little bit about him. Uh, Paul was this first century church planter. But before Paul became this first century church planter, he was actually someone who went around, around trying to persecute Christians all around the region, all around the area, trying to wipe out this new religion off the face of the planet. Now, this was a big deal because he had this life-changing conversion and all of a sudden he found Jesus, he knew Jesus. It was like this undeniable moment and he changed his life from going to try and wipe out Christianity to risking his life in order to start Christianity and start Christian churches in the name of Jesus. And he must have known. I mean, just think about this for a second. He must have known this third option because there's no way that he could have just carried around this guilt. And what he writes about is absolutely this third option that he found from Jesus. Imagine walking into a room and looking at people in the eyes of whom you've killed their parents, their siblings, their sons or daughters or friends. I mean, that was Paul's experience, perhaps. Uh, But we know his story, not because he denied it or because he was defined by it, because he actually told us, he wrote it down. He wrote it down in this letter to this church in Rome in the first century. But he also says this. So now there is no condemnation, no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. There is a third way. There is a space, a place where the actual past is neither forgotten nor condemning. It's faced and embraced without being erased. It's a place where what happened still happened, uh, but it's no longer terrifying for where you are now. There is a place where what happened still happened, uh, but there is now no condemnation, not from you, not from others, not from God. Uh, Where is this space? Well, let's read it again. There is now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Whoever is willing to be able to face the truth about themselves, acknowledge it to God and surrender to the lordship or the bossship perhaps of Jesus is able to regain the balance and lose the weight. Why? Well, check out verse two. Because you belong to him through a relationship, through embracing Jesus, through embracing what he's done, through walking with Jesus who holds a different path, different rules, a different way. The power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of sin and death is this. You're stuck. Guilt wins. Guilt becomes your boss. You live in it. You live by it. And when you die, you're stuck. But when you belong to Jesus, when you follow Jesus, something changes. Well, how? Well, verse three says this. The law of Moses was unable to save us. Uh, In fact, you know this to be true of any law that you follow. Whatever the law is, whatever the rules is that you broke, whether it's the law of the land or the law of your marriage or the unwritten rules and laws uh, that you know that you abused even even though you know that they were unwritten. Whatever those laws, all they do is set a standard of how low you can go. And then they punish you when you fail. Even that standard, even that low standard. What they don't do is restore. What they don't do is forgive or get you back. They leave you limping, bossed by guilt. But Paul experienced something that Jesus did that the law could not do. He says this, so God, 
did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies that we sinners have. And in that body, God declared the end to sin's control over us by giving us his son as a sacrifice for our sins. This is powerful. And many of you will know this in your head and you've heard this before in Sunday school. Uh, But we lose the significance of what this can be. Uh, We believe it here, but we don't really believe it here because we just don't live like it. Jesus didn't just send Jesus to show us how to live or how to love or what God is like, although all of those things are absolutely true. He sent him so that he could take the invisible stuff, the stuff that's invisible but we know to be true, that weighs on you in a very real way, that comes from our past that we deserve, by the way, so that we can be free. That's Jesus. He took it. It's not fair, but he took the sin. Sin is this purely theological word that we all understand, but none of us ever really use. It's the stuff that is like more than a mistake. It's the weight. It's the uh, condemnation. It's the past. It's the hurt. It's the sticky stuff that can't be undone. That's what Jesus took. Jesus did not only take the weight of guilt, though. He also took the weight of condemnation. The divine condemnation between you and God, the self-condemnation between you and you, all condemnation. Listen, if you live with the thought that there is a God who is sitting, eye-rolling, scowling, putting up with, having to love but not really liking you, resenting you, then you need to hear this. That God who sent Jesus to stake your stuff is not that God. That's just not God. God is a God of no condemnation. Come to me, he says. No story, no denying, no defying, no blaming. And together we can agree, you are guilty. You did do it. Uh, You did use them. You did hurt them. You did lie. You did break God's heart because of what was in your heart. But you are not condemned. Because God says, when I see you, I don't see that. Uh, When I see you, I see you with all the goodness and the glory and the gifting and the purpose that I put in you. And I don't see that. And now because of Jesus, when you see you in the mirror, I want you to see the goodness and the glory and the gifting and the purpose that I put in you. And I don't want you to define yourself because of the past. And when you see him or her, and yes, even them, I want you to see them with all the goodness and the glory and the gifting and the purpose and the identity that I put in them. And not that stuff. And if that seems wild or too big or almost undoable, it's because it is. And that's why God did it. That's why God sent Jesus to do it. And the word that encompasses all of this, that we throw around and sing in church and forget how life-changing it is, is this word grace. Jesus is the boss of us. Grace is the boss of us. Not in a harsh way, but in a welcoming, glorious, why else would you want any other boss way? You may be guilty, but you are not condemned. What's condemned is sin. It's the hurt, it's the unkindness, it's the stuff that we all want to be condemned to, but not you. Paul writes, he did this so that the just requirements of the law could be fully satisfied for us, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Now this is church, and this is the Bible, so chances are that as soon as this service ends, everything that may have sounded pretty good might just turn into a whole bunch of theological jumble, and you might just be thinking, well, what actually difference does this make uh, to my life now? How is this going to help me feel any different? 
And to do that, I want to remind us that last week, the advice uh, that we give ourselves is filtered through our emotions that distort the realities of the world. And when it comes to guilt, it's true as well that how we live is filtered through the guilt that distorts our realities of the world. So we need to monitor and change our hearts to something more true. Uh, This is a big deal for you and a big deal for others who are around you. So I want to give you four implications, four implications uh, this should have on your life. Because this is true, because of what Jesus did, when you follow Jesus, number one, you forfeit your right to condemn yourself because guilt is not the boss of you. In fact, whenever you feel condemned because of your guilt, uh, you can say, guilt, you're not the boss of me. You no longer live with the debt. You no longer live in a way that reflects what happened. Number two, your guilt will remind you, but it will not define you. Your worst moment ever becomes not a pit that you can never come out of and you dwell in forever, but actually a pivoting point that becomes something better, that leads you to something more, that leads you onto a better path of following the Jesus way. Number three, you forfeit the right to condemn others. Because if you do, then you become the hypocrite. Uh, Chances are that if you do condemn others and you're a Jesus follower, you actually have something going on that you really need to deal with. Uh, Jesus did for, uh, for you what you can now do for others. In fact, he actually told a parable, a parable about this, and you can read this in the story of Jesus, where he tells a story about a king uh, who lent loads of money to a man who couldn't possibly pay it back. And he just brought him into his kingdom and just says, listen, all of your debts canceled. Don't worry about it anymore. Uh, and then this guy goes home uh, and he just, the first thing he does is he goes to somebody else who owns a tiny amount of money to him and picks him up with a scruff of the neck and forces him to pay the money back. And some of the king's advisor sees this and goes back to the king and the king brings him and says, why on earth would you do that? Like, you can't do that. I just let you off this whole massive amount and then look at what you're doing. That's just not fair. And it's the same with you. When we accept this deal where we no longer are condemned, even though we're guilty, We can't condemn others anymore or we become the hypocrite. Number four, you are free to make an apology without expectations and without excuses. Listen, Christianity is not, I hurt you, but I went home and I prayed and now we're good. Christianity is, I hurt you, but I faced my guilt and I am free from that now so that the least I can do is come to you and give you the apology that you deserve and make space for reconciliation. In fact, the reality is that I think that this actually shows perhaps most uh, that we get what Jesus offered and Paul understood as well. When you can face up to what you did and understand that whilst you are guilty, you are not condemned, the way in which others, uh, we interact with others uh, changes and brings a freedom that reflects what's been given to you. So as we wrap up, let me ask you a question. Are you ready to stop condemning yourself to stop telling yourself the same story and make the first move? Are you ready to stop condemning yourself, stop telling yourself the same story and make the first move? I know that we fear uh, the consequences of confession more than the consequence of concealment. But that's a mistake. That's something that Jesus frees you from. You are guilty, yes, I'm guilty too, but we're not condemned. Your past can remind you, but it does not have to define you. Let me pray for us as I finish. Father God, I don't know what it is that each of us holds in our hearts that every day we wake up with and we go to bed with 
And we just feel like defines us, that limits our future, that we constantly have to tell an alternative narrative about in order that we can just live with it. But Father, you say that there is a different way. You say that because of Jesus, we are no longer condemned because Jesus, through his death, through his resurrection, took the invisible stuff that we know is just as real as any tangible thing around us. And so, Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We accept the Jesus way. We accept following him. And Lord, we ask for grace. And as we step into that grace and we learn to forgive ourselves and not live under the weight of guilt anymore, we can step forward into making the first move to others who we have wronged, not with any expectation, uh, not with any excuse making, but in the knowledge that we no longer live in the guilt and the least we can do is go and bring reconciliation where there isn't any. Holy Spirit, would you be with us? Would you guide us through this hard challenge that just takes more than a talk? In your name I pray. Amen. That's all for this week. Thanks once again for joining us. We'd love to keep the conversation going, so why not check out Forge Church UK on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram? Or go online at forgechurch.com where you can watch other content find a next step, give financially, or see any details of what's currently going on in and around the Forge. We're looking forward to you joining us next time.